Welcome to No Baller. I'm Chris Rawl. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the approach of the NBA and NHL playoffs. I'm going to talk about how professional sports leagues have embraced gambling to create a greater emotional bond with their fans. I'm going to talk about finding something to be passionate about. Let's go. Find anything that makes you happy and run. Well, once upon a time, I wrote those words for an essay about golf, something that indeed makes me very happy and indeed something that I have taken and ran with. Uh, and that's an ideology that I try to apply to my life in general. Find things that make me happy and run with them. So sports are a very obvious area that, that I use that ideology with. Uh, I, I watch sports all the time. I consume them in a variety of ways. And it's something that genuinely makes me happy. And I go out of my way to be a part of that, okay? Uh, when I talk about sports, there are certain subsets within each individual sport, whether that's the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, going down the list. There are certain things that really, really, really stimulate me and, and, and make me super, super, super happy. One of those things is the playoffs uh, within professional sports leagues. The NHL and the NBA, we're a couple weeks away from watching uh, uh, both of the seasons culminate. And I'm very, very excited for those things because the more playoff style intensity I can get from the very best athletes and teams in the world, uh, the more enjoyable it is for me as a fan and the happier I, I am and the more happiness I'm able to extract from this participation as a fan, okay? I, I want to read to you a paragraph from ESPN because the NBA is making a point of trying to create more of this playoff-style intensity. And because of that, they are instituting play-in games this year. So I'm going to read this paragraph from ESPN. The play-in adds a fascinating wrinkle to the end of the regular season and the start of the postseason. Teams were already less incentivized to tank games down the stretch due to the flattened lottery odds instituted in 2019. Now that the top 10 teams in the standings will finish the regular season with at least a chance to make the playoffs, more franchises will stay in the mix for longer. Some people, like Dallas Mavericks all-star Luka Doncic and team owner Mark Cuban, are less than thrilled about the prospect of the play-in tournament. But we should expect some heated contests as teams push to make it into or above the play-in fray. End quote. So the play-in has opened up two spots that previously did not participate in the playoffs. The number nine seed and the number 10 seed. In the past, it was just one through eight. You matched up and you went into the playoffs. The NBA, as a way of trying to create more of this playoff style intensity and incentivize teams to play longer and tank less... They go, okay, we're going to open up the eight or the seven, eight, nine, and 10 spots. So now, instead of the seven and eight automatically making it into the playoffs, they are forced to play a playing game. How this works the seven plays the eight in a one, one game winner takes all scenario. Whoever wins that, that's the seven seed. The nine and the 10 play for the right to play another one off against the loser of the seven and eight seed. Okay. So what we're getting here is the creation of game sevens, 
essentially three game sevens before the playoffs have even begun. Me, as a viewer, I look at it and I go, all right, you know, hook that up to my veins and feed it directly in. I, I love the playoffs and I love anything that can incentivize professional sports teams to say, this is a winner-take-all game. Uh, this means everything, and you're going to see that when you watch this game. Right now, if you take a look at the standings, on the east side of the bracket, the 7 through 10 teams, Heat, Hornets, Pacers, Wizards. On the west side of the bracket, Blazers, Grizzlies, Spurs, Warriors. So I look at that, and I go, whew, it seems pretty intriguing to envision these, again, essentially game sevens, where we could get Dame Lillard going against Steph Curry in a winner-take-all matchup. Like, that's, uh, that's every sports fan's dream. Or watching last year's NBA Finals runner-up, the Miami Heat, playing against a team like the Wizards, who are scorching hot right now and playing awesome basketball. There's all these different ways, just looking at the standings right now, where I go, this is going to be pretty cool. In the ESPN paragraph, it's mentioned that Doncic and Mark Cuban uh, were pushing back against the actual idea of the plan. And indeed, there's been a little bit of, uh, of a hullabaloo, if you want to call it that, where people go, ah, I don't know if I like this. I'm more of a traditionalist, which I find to be bizarre because in a sport where the regular season is usually not that entertaining and indeed pretty worthless, uh, any attempt to make it more intriguing should probably not be met with resistance. Again, this is my own personal opinion, but within professional sports, the more you can actually structure the format to say, this is a winner-take-all game, I, like, that's what I want as a fan, okay? So this is a segue into another avenue that professional sports leagues are now, the, the light bulb's turning on in their head, and it's going, hmm, this is a way to actually really stimulate fans and viewers and, and indeed create this really hard emotional bond with them, which is gambling. In the past, sports gambling was kind of looked down upon, and, and, and I would think the—I don't think this. I feel very confident saying the vast majority of Americans kind of looked at it as this is degenerate behavior. This is something that's, like, not that tasteful. Uh, this is somewhat seedy. All of the things that in the past have been associated with sports gambling, which I've always been very aggravated about because I go, well, this is just— another thing we live in a world where the stock market is commonplace and and, and yeah there's insider trading within this whole uh, capitalistic apparatus and yet because it's the stock market we don't really bat an eye it's always been there in our lives and sports gambling it's a branch off the same tree yeah it can be manipulated and there can be things that come about from it that aren't great at the same time if it's regulated as we're now seeing happen in a lot of states within america if it's regulated and done appropriately, like it's a great way for people to get into sports. It's a great way to uh, find entertainment within sports. And for some people, it's a way to try and make money, right? So professional sports, when they see a stream for cash, they usually go out of their way to try and maximize it. Again, this is a funny part about how it's taken so long for them to embrace gambling because this is a very obvious revenue stream. And again, a very obvious way to get their foot in the door with potential fans, which professional sports leagues should always be doing. So within the recent past, you know, the last decade, I would say, but really, really 
within the last five years or so as the Supreme Court ruled that each state can determine on a state-by-state basis whether or not sports gambling is legalized there. And we've seen a lot more states come and go, yeah, this seems like a normal thing. Let's get the, the parameters in place and hash this thing out and let our citizens gamble on sports that they love. As that's happened, I've noticed within myself, but also within people I talk to who didn't necessarily gamble as much in the past. I've noticed that gambling taps into what I talked about to great extent on yesterday's podcast, that real vivid, hardcore emotion that I crave from sports. And that once you taste as a fan or as a gambler or as a consumer, it it kind of changes the way that you consume that sport. And it kind of hooks you in a way that sometimes you go, hmm, I hate that I like this team so much because they've only caused me pain for years and years, but I keep coming back to it because there's this one moment that I always remember. Let me tell you about it. You much in the same way that I talked about Nebraska, Missouri, 1997, yesterday, that college football game, that hook, when it goes into you, it's something that is try as you might, you usually don't get away from. Okay. So a couple years back, I'm down in Mesquite, Nevada with a group of my friends. We're all out there golfing and at nights we would go to the casinos there and we'd split off and some people play blackjack, some people go and play poker and you know, some of us go to the sports book and watch sports. So there's a Utah Jazz game that night. I believe it was Jazz Timberwolves and the Jazz were huge favorites, like 18 points or something. The whole Timberwolves roster was out and me and the people that I was with, we go, let's bet on the Jazz. It'll be fun. We can have something in common to root for. One of the guys with us, he follows sports closely, but he's never gambled before. So he's intrigued. He goes, okay, well, tell me what this means. You know, we're looking at the gambling board. So what's minus 110? What is, what is that there? I go, okay, this is the spread. This is the total. This is the money line. This is how all these things work. And so he's like nervous. He's like a little kid because now he wants to go place a bet, but he's intimidated by going up to the cash window to talk to the register and try and place the bet. So he goes, well, how do I do it? What do I do? I go, well, there's the number next to the bet. You go up and you say, I want to put $20 on 763. They'll put it in the computer, print out your ticket. You're good to go. He goes, okay, but what if I say the wrong? I go, just don't worry about it. Just go up to the register. It'll be fine. You're betting $20 on the game. It'll be a grand old time. And this will be something that you'll enjoy. I promise you. So he goes up, he places the bet at the window. Me and a couple other people, we placed our bets all on the jazz. So now we're watching the game together, which again, we're all sports fans already. Now we have the added incentive of money riding on the game. And in turn, that stronger emotional connection with the game that I probably wouldn't care that much about considering it's presumably going to be a jazz blowout. So the jazz are hammering them the whole game. But with the spread factored in, they're kind of rotating between that 18 point barrier, which they need to exceed in order for the bet to be won. So the Jazz are up by, you know, 20 points. And it's coming down to the last couple minutes of this game. The Jazz are emptying their bench. The Timberwolves are doing the same. So now you have the scrubs of all the scrubs. And they're out here to determine the bet. Which again, if you have gambled on sports, you understand at times how fun this is. And at times how maddening this is. So at the time, there's a guy on the Jazz bench. His name is Jeff Withy. Just this... Tall, goofy fellow from University of Kansas. They're like eight-string center. <laughs> and Quinn Snyder goes, Withy, get in there, you know? So they're running plays for this guy who just 
not a gifted offensive weapon. You know, you'd never do this in real life, but because it's a blowout, they're doing it. He keeps getting fouled, and Withy not known for his soft touch at the free throw line. So I'm standing there next to this guy who has never placed a sports bet, but has now placed one, and he's like feeling the cinch of this $20 that's riding on Jeff Withy shooting free throw. So he's sitting in my ear, and he's going, are you kidding me? Jeff, Jeff Withy, he can't make a free, Jeff Withy doesn't even know how to shoot. What's going on here? And I go, I, listen, I'm not happy about it just like you. I don't want to be watching Jeff Witte try to muscle these free throws in to win our bet. That's where we're at in this game. This is just what gambling is sometimes. I don't know what to tell you. At times, it's atrocious. I'm not saying it's good all the time. So he's in my ear, and he's pacing, literally pacing back and forth. And he's just, he's holding his head. He goes, how can they put Jeff Witte in the game? He's asking me all these Jeff Witte questions, which are rattling, to say the least. Like, people ask me existential questions about like life and what happens when you die. And they're less rattling than what I was trying to answer with this guy and Jeff Withy. I go, look, I don't know. He's not very good at basketball. He shouldn't be in the NBA. Probably. He definitely should not be using offensive possessions and he should definitely not be shooting free throws. So Jeff Withy comes through against all odds last minute of the game. He cans two free throws, which end up providing the margin of this game for us to win our bet. So now we're celebrating. We're, we're super happy. Everybody's fired up. And we're praising Jeff Withy, this guy who in a million years, I will guarantee you, Jeff Withy could play in the NBA and nobody would be more happy for Jeff Withy, including his own family, than we were in that exact moment for Jeff Withy, okay? That's, like, that's tapping into a very real emotion. That's a memory that I have that I go, it is so bizarre yet infinitely cool that whenever I hear the word or the name Jeff Withy, I go, Jeff Withy, let me tell you a story about that guy, right? Like that's a real cool, vivid connection that I have that came about because I love sports and because gambling has been introduced to the general public. Another story, Eli Manning, the quarterback of the New York Giants. Never, I've never enjoyed watching him play football. I think he's vastly overrated and he's one of the people that I bang my head against the wall because he has won two Super Bowls. And people equate that to him being a very good quarterback throughout the duration of his career. And I don't believe that to be true. However, there's some random regular season game they're playing against the San Francisco 49ers. This is back when the Niners were good during the Colin Kaepernick era. And I have a parlay ticket. For those of you who don't know what a parlay is, it just means you have multiple bets with on the same ticket to exponentiate the payout. But you have to win every single bet on the ticket. Otherwise, it's all lost. Okay. So I get through each leg of this ticket. I'm sweating out a college football game on Saturday. I'm sweating out a regular season NBA game. I can't remember what was on it. The main point is I get to the final one. And it's the Giants who are slight favorites in this game. They're hosting the Niners. And I just bet the Giants money line. I just need them to win out. So I'm now watching this game. And I have the emotional stakes and the monetary stakes tied into it. So I'm riding it like I'm an actual fan of the Giants and of Eli Manning. And the whole game, he's doing Eli Manning stuff. He's tossing these little noodles around the yard, these little 15-yard poof passes out to the sideline that are just hanging in air for eternity. And I'm going, this is the worst quarterback I've ever seen. I can't, I can't even believe that this guy has won two Super Bowls. I can't believe he has a starting job. I don't know how he wasn't benched 10 years ago when he was at Ole Miss. I don't know what's going on with this. So I'm cursing him the whole time. It's driving me up a wall, right? 
We get to the end of the game, and, and a strange series of events occurs, and the Giants get the ball back. And Eli Manning, in typical Eli Manning fashion, he's barfed on himself for 58 minutes. He leads the Giants down the field. He throws a touchdown right at the end. And it's the greatest moment of me as a pseudo Eli Manning fan. I'm jumping up and I'm going, this is my quarterback. It's the famous Terrell Owens crying in the locker room. That's my quarterback. That's what I'm doing with Eli Manning, a guy who, again, I've not enjoyed watching before or since. But for that one moment, like, I ride this entire emotional roller coaster all weekend of this parlay ticket, win, win, and then I get to Eli Manning, and, and that's a real solid moment that occurs because I, I love sports and because I've gambled on those games. The last one I'll tell you about, it's from this last season, the famous Monday night Ravens-Browns game. A lot of people call it the poop game because there was a moment when it's a great back and forth battle. Two divisional rivals, they both end up making the playoffs, they're battling for position. And Lamar Jackson, the quarterback of the Ravens, he leaves at one point. And at first people think he's cramping up or something. Then for reasons unknown, everybody thinks that he's pooped himself. And he's had to run into the locker room to change his trousers. But, but, but we're in the midst of the second half of this game. The Ravens, their backup is Trace McSorley. We don't want to watch him play. He's not doing anything. I have another parlay ticket that combines the over, which hit by a mile. So that's already cashed with the Ravens minus three, which now is in doubt because Lamar Jackson's not coming back and possibly pooped himself, which again, now I'm cursing this poor fellow who like, if he did indeed poop himself, very embarrassing moment to have happen on a nationally televised Monday night football game that the entire world is watching and a lot of people are gambling on and are now going, where's Lamar Jackson and why did he choose this moment in time to defecate in his football shorts? Okay, so Lamar Jackson comes storming out of the locker room in the fourth quarter, right when Trace McSorley has gotten injured and the Ravens don't have a backup quarterback besides him on their roster. So the announcers are saying they might have to put in a wideout. We're not really sure. And like a hero out of the movies, Lamar Jackson comes running in. It's a fourth down play that he has to come in and play for. McSorley gets injured on third down and Lamar Jackson comes in, throws a touchdown. It's back and forth. And it culminates in my favorite gambling moment of the entire season last year, which is Justin Tucker drills a 55-yard field goal with seconds on the clock to put the Ravens up three. So now I'm sitting on a push because I have the Ravens minus three, which all things considered, the fact that Lamar Jackson has pooped himself in the game, the fact that I at one point thought I'd poop myself just from watching the game and having money on it and being so frustrated, all of these things, I go, you know what, I'll take the push. I'll cash the other leg. That's fine. I'm more than happy with it. And I'm already feeling good about it. And the Browns have one play left. And it starts turning into one of those crazy plays at the end of games that all gamblers know. Which is, you, if you're on the right side of it, you start getting this rise where you go, is, is it possible that I actually am going to win this bet that I had thought I couldn't win? And if you're on the wrong side, you sink and you go, oh am I really going to lose this bet? So the Browns start fumbling the ball around. They're backed up by their own goal line. It's popping here, popping there. And I go, is it possible that this is going to happen? Ball squirts in the end zone, safety, final play of the game. The refs run out, they give the signal. And I, I'm freaking out, you know, I'm jumping around my room. I go, I can't believe it. I'm texting my friends who are gamblers. I go, did you see that game? I had that, that was my second leg of a parlay. This is amazing. This is the best moment of my life, right? All of these things, 
they tie into what professional sports leagues, I mean, the play-in games, the embrace of gambling, it ties into what professional sports leagues want and should continue to push and find ways to maximize, which is how do I put something out there on the field, on the court, on the rink that is the best possible product and the best possible way to engage viewers and fans in a real visceral way. So professional sports for good or for bad, it's about finding out who the champion is, right? And as those of you who have listened to me, you know that I push back against that greatly on when it comes to player and team narratives. Your season is not a failure if you didn't win a championship. Your career is not a failure if you didn't win a championship. And yet, even as I say that, I understand the lure. Because much like all of this emotion that I'm talking about, all of this passion that I'm talking about, when you engage with my team is a real contender and they can win the title. And that would mean everything to these players, to management, to the coaches, to everybody who follows this team, that entire community of people that for one reason or another are drawn to watching that team or that player play. I understand that lure. Um, because when the highs are high, it's, it's pretty incredible. And when the lows are low, it's equally incredible uh, in a negative way. I'll tell you two stories about that, and then I'll wrap this up. I'm a very big LeBron James fan. My favorite basketball player of all time, uh, alongside Aaron Rodgers and Peter Forsberg, probably one of my three favorite athletes of all time. And LeBron has been one of the players that has consistently fought that battle in the early stages of his career. The, the battle of the only thing that matters is winning. And so, yes, you've put together eight incredible years of basketball, but because you have not won, we don't care. Uh, and it's a black mark on your resume and your legacy because we're actually going to hold against how good you are playing. We will hold that against you because you have not won a championship, right? So he breaks through. He wins a couple with the Heat. And he goes back to Cleveland, which is his hometown, all that kind of stuff. Haven't won a championship in 50 years. They lose in the finals the first year that he's there. Kyrie fractures his kneecap. Kevin Love separates his shoulder. It's just LeBron on an island with Matthew Dellavedova and Timothy Mozgov. He takes the Warriors to sixth game, whatever. The next year, the 73-win Warriors, the best regular season basketball team, according to record in the history of the NBA. And at no point in that season am I watching the Cavs, which had a great team in their own right. At no point in that season am I watching them and going, this team, they, they, they can win the title. They're going to win the title. It just seemed like a foregone conclusion because of how good the Warriors were. So we get into the NBA Finals. The Cavs go down 3-1. I go, you can't. I'm already preparing my arguments about this whole LeBron legacy winning, all of those things that go into that conversation. And I go, you just can't hold this guy accountable for losing against a team that is so much superior to his own, right? And then game five's at Golden State and LeBron and Kyrie both score 40 and, and they win. And I go, okay, you know, you get game six. Who knows, well, who knows what can happen here? And 
They go back home for game six and Cleveland comes out with their hair on fire in the first half and they run them right out of the building. So now we're setting the stage for game seven. And there's always a moment within a run where as a fan, I go, is I think that this is going to happen, not because of X's and O's or because of these really hard, tangible reasons, but you kind of like, you kind of ascend to this spiritual plane where you go, I think this is written in the cards. It's, it's fate, so to speak, because I'm a fan of this thing and I've been watching it. And now I think that it's actually just going to happen because that's what the universe wants, right? So going into game seven, Cleveland's still an underdog in the game. I think they're five and a half points, point favorites in game seven. But because of the chain of events that have happened, and despite the fact that it's the 73-win Warriors team, I go, this is meant to happen. It's, it's too perfect. LeBron goes back to his childhood home. He comes back armed with championship experience. He's going against the, the team that we thought was the best team ever at the time. And he goes down 3-1 and brings them back and then wins game seven on the road. It's, it, it's meant to be. That, I truly did believe that, right? And so now I've engaged with this idea that I talk about within professional sports. Again, this is for good or for bad. Many, most, the vast majority of the times it's bad. But I engage with that idea. I go, this team is winning the championship. I truly believe this. So now the expectation is heaped on this game, even more so than I normally have it. And that whole day, I'm just sitting there waiting, you know. I remember I go over to my parents' house. There was this kind of shindig going on during the day. A bunch of uh, distant family members were there. They all know I'm a huge LeBron guy. So I'm walking around, just little nervous, fidgety man going, oh, can you guys wait for this game at 6 o'clock? It's, oh, my gosh. And then somebody who I haven't seen in five years comes up to me and they go, Chris, what do you think LeBron's going to do tonight? And I go, oh, I can't even. I, I, it's fate. It's fate. They're going to win. I don't see any other way around it right? So I retire to the place that I'm living at at the time. I can't watch this game with people because it means far too much to me, which if you felt it when you watch sports, you felt it and you know what that means. Uh, I'm watching the game. You know, it's they're back and forth. This Curry's drilling a three, J.R. Smith drills a three and, and it comes down to the end. We all know the story, you know, LeBron's block that is probably the most memorable play that I've ever watched when it comes to basketball and one of the most memorable plays that I've ever watched as a fan. That happens. And again, it's, it's, it was not logical, but it's tied into that belief that I had where I go, this team is winning. Like this is fate that this is going to occur. This is, this is the championship team, even though they haven't won it yet. And even though any, chain of events could have happened. Just one play goes this way or that and the Warriors win that year. And yet Kyrie hits the three. Kevin Love comes out on Steph Curry when he's dancing around in place. He chucks a three that he bricks and, and it ties into this incredible moment, the very end of the game where I'm at home and I'm solo. And I know what this means to this franchise. I know what it means to LeBron. I know what it means to me as just a fan and a crazy person who loves tracing the arc of somebody's career. And the Warriors are down four. They shoot a three from the corner as there's a couple seconds on the clock, so there's no possible way they can win. And the Cavs are now running out on the court. There's these incredible pictures that I just, you don't forget, 
of LeBron where he's holding his arms out and Kevin Love's running off the bench. And then there's these other pictures where they're hugging one another and LeBron's balling and everybody's coming out. And you can hear over the broadcast, it's at Golden State, I could hear over the broadcast that all of these people running off the bench, you could hear them screaming, you could hear them shouting, the crowd is completely quiet. And you can just hear this like raw outpouring of emotion and sound. You couldn't pick out individual phrases or words or any of that stuff, but you could just hear the tones of people's voices coming through that. So now I'm, you know, ecstatic and I'm just, I, at first I'm freaking out and then I just kind of sat down and I had this old leather recliner that I would sit in and I was just sitting there and I'm like, this is really, really, really incredible. And I can't believe that I've watched this guy's career for 12 years and you never really know if it's building up to a moment or if that moment will ever occur. Usually it does not. And I'd watched it for 12 years and I go, this is the moment. Like this is the pinnacle of this person's career. Like this is everything that everyone will ever remember about LeBron James and what he did on a basketball court. The flip side of this coin, when you engage with that idea that my team's the team, this is written in the cards, this is a championship contender. And I truly believe that not only is my team capable of winning the championship, but they will win the championship. I'm a huge Green Bay Packers fan, as everybody knows. And in 2014, that season, I watched the Packers play and I go, this is a Super Bowl team. This is just, there's no way around it. I truly believe that this team is going to win. They had a game late in the regular season that year against the New England Patriots who would end up winning the title that year. And Rodgers is zinging it all over the yard. They end up beating them. Rodgers wins the MVP. And I go, this team is so good and this team is going to win the championship. I believe this. So they have the NFC title game that year. It's in January of 2015. And I fully engage with this idea because I'm too dumb to not engage with it. And and, and actually, if I'm being uh, fair and honest with myself, like I'm probably too passionate when it comes to sports. And so a lot of times it's very hard for me to not engage with that, especially with a team that I watch really consistently. The the pessimistic side of me and the guarded side of me that is is apprehensive about engaging with this level of motion. I'm always going, you know, their, their defense isn't that good. And the coaching staff, Mike McCarthy, he's not doing that hot, but the side of me, that's a, a, a really intense fan. And, and the one that I like embracing from time to time, I watch it and I go, that doesn't matter. This offensive line is the best that's been under Rogers and, and Rogers is playing incredible football. And just upon the strength of those two things, this team can win the championship. So they go into Seattle, they're up 16 0 in the third quarter. Uh, an incredible chain of events occur over the course of the next quarter and change, including the the probably the most famous play of Aaron Rodgers' career, in my opinion, <laughs> which is fitting, uh, where Brandon Bostic, a backup special teams guy who's on their hands team, he comes out. Uh, the Seahawks are kicking an onside kick that if Green Bay recovers, the game's over. They're going to the Super Bowl. The famous photo of him, the ball bouncing off his chest. I'm watching... Uh, at home and I just had that feeling the sinking feeling that I talked about there's always the the ends of the spectrum I talked about the rush that came from all those gambling things but there's also the sinking feeling that comes when you can sense what is to come even if it hasn't fully happened yet and so Bostic botches it 
and Seattle drives down. They score a touchdown with a little over a minute to go. They're now up three. Aaron Rodgers is playing with a hurt calf at the time, uh, which he hurts in the final game of the regular season that year. And he's, ho- he's literally hobbling around this entire game. You know, like the Dread Pirate Roberts, some peg leg Magoo. He's running around in the pocket and he's trying to evade this the, the Legion of Boom defense. I mean, we all remember it. it's the best defense of its entire era. They're trying to murder Rodgers and he's hobbling around trying to do this or that. So they get the ball back and I go, it doesn't matter. It's over. They can't do anything. And yet against all odds, the thing that always reels you back, something happens. And Rodgers zips him down the field. There's this play that I just will never forget where he breaks free on the sideline. They're, the rush is coming in. He breaks containment. And there's so much open space for him to run, but he's running on one leg. And so he's doing this weird, rickety, one-hop step down the sidelines as all of these defenders are coming to cream him. And I'm just like, this is so freaking weird how much I'm into this game and how crazy it actually is. We're talking about onside kicks being botched. We're talking about a one-legged quarterback running into field goal position. We're talking about Mason Crosby coming in and drilling a very long field goal at the end of regulation to send it to overtime. And yet, overtime comes, the Packers lose the coin toss, and as soon as that happens, I go, I know how this ends. I just, you just know sometimes. Seattle comes down the field, uh, Russell Wilson to Jermaine Curse, 30-some-odd-yard touchdown. That's game, set, match. I walk out of the house. I, I don't even know what I did. I think I drove off somewhere. The main point being, it was almost like actual shock in real life, which is very funny to say out loud. Uh, but I don't feel ashamed saying something like that because I'm going to circle back to what I talked about at the top of the episode. Find anything that makes you happy and run. It's something that I firmly believe in, right? And I'm a really, really, really deep believer in it doesn't matter what you're passionate about, whether that's a person, uh, inanimate object, a game. I don't care. It it doesn't matter to me. Uh, What matters is you find something to be passionate about. That's the standard that I hold myself to. Uh, And so... The fact that I can find something that makes me feel like that, for good or for bad, that's a really, really, really cool thing that I go out of my way to to continually feel and to chase after. Because a lot of people don't have that luxury for one reason or another. And, and not because I've sought it out for sports. That's just something that over the course of time has become ingrained inside me and makes me feel in a way that I go... That's kind of insane. Why am I feeling like I'm in shock? Because one-legged Aaron Rodgers just lost to the Seahawks. And yet, because I found that thing that makes me really happy, I go, you know what? I don't hold, I don't make people feel ashamed about whatever they may be passionate about. All I care is that they show passion in whatever area that may be. And that's the exact same standard that I'm going to hold myself to. So for me, again, that's sports. It's gambling. It's, it's all of those things that I was talking about that, that go into just the simple fact of I can place $20 on a game, a sum that in, in the long run, who really cares about it? It's $20. But it's just a way of maximizing that emotional rush. It's what leads me to sit here last night watching games at the office, and I'm sweating out a 
Denver Nuggets, New Orleans Pelicans game. I have the Nuggets minus four. <laughs> and they're covering the whole game. And this crazy chain of events happens at the end of the game. And the next thing I know, the Nuggets are only leading by two. It looks like it's going to end on that. And P.J. Dozier on the Denver Nuggets, he gets fouled. He gets a rebound at the end of the game and gets fouled with less than a second to go on the clock. So now he has two free throws to give me the push. And I'm sucked in watching P.J. Dozier, a person who most people probably have no idea who it is, including people who watch the NBA because he's not a relevant NBA player. And now I'm watching this guy shoot two free throws at the end of a game and he barfs on himself on the first free throw and I can't handle it. Because now, much like the Jeff Withy high, I go, how on earth did I find myself watching P.J. Dozier shoot two free throws that meant something to me when no one else on earth cared about that thing, except for somebody who had money on it. But that's, that's an incredible thing to be a part of. It's why viewing sports in general, it's so cool for me. It's about reading about them all the time and consuming information, the stuff that I love. Listening to podcasts, the same thing. All of the stuff that goes into that. It's about tracing that arc of a season, of a career, uh, of an individual player or a team. Like I mentioned with LeBron or the Packers or Aaron Rodgers or all of these things that I've been able to watch over the years. Um, and, and it ties into the playoffs and what I mentioned at the top of the episode. The way that the NBA is trying to maximize that. The way that the Stanley Cup playoffs this year are going to mean a very, very, very lot to me. Because my favorite team, the Colorado Avalanche, have finally built a team that is ready to go. Uh, they're the gambling favorite in Vegas. And I'll have another episode prepared on that subject so I won't step on my own toes, but the playoffs loom. And they're incredible as a consumer. And they are infinitely maddening and heartbreaking when your team is involved. Um, but when they come around, and hopefully this is the year for Jazz fans out there, for Colorado Avalanche fans like me, for whatever your team is, um, every so often, if you're lucky, if things break your way, if you have a team in place, and if random fate and chance is on your side, uh, it's about as good as it gets.